Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode 282 of the show. Uh, I'm getting over being sick again. My nose is like a faucet. Sorry if that's TMI. It just is what it is. I feel like I have a frog in my throat. Uh, It is crazy. Ever since Jordan went back to school in September, we've been sick like every other week. It is ridiculous. Uh, the amount of germs <laughs> that come from a first grade classroom is unbelievable. But uh, we've been sick a lot. But we're on the other end of this thing. It's February. We're plowing through the school year, plowing through these sicknesses. And uh, we are becoming healthy once again. How long will it be for? Nobody knows. <laughs> but we're going to do do our best. Uh, today we're talking to Elliot Adam. Uh, Elliot is a tarot reader. He wrote two books, Fearless Tarot and Tarot and Love. I highly recommend both of them. Go find them on Amazon. Uh, but in the in the episode, we're going to talk about how Elliot was brought up, raised in a fundamentalist, evangelical Christian setting. We're going to talk about how he came out as gay. We're going to talk about how Tarot entered into his life. We're going to talk about um, tarot cards, tarot practice. We're going to talk about tarot spreads. We talk about so many different things, but one of the reasons I really wanted to have him on the show is because I wanted to hear his story. Because so many of us listeners grew up in that same kind of world, a fundamentalist evangelical world. And my interest is really in hearing about what was it like when he got into tarot? And what kind of inner battle or struggle was there between his new desire to dabble in tarot and what he had been told in his upbringing about tarot? Because a lot of our listeners have reached out and said to me, like, these tarot episodes are really interesting. But there's that Christian soldier that lives inside of me who reminds me of what I was told about these cards, that they're evil and that they're bad and that they're demonic and all this different stuff. So I wanted to hear from Elliot what was that battle like for you? And what was your journey to kind of make your way through that battle to where you are today? Because he's a successful tarot reader. He has his own uh, practice where he he literally does tarot readings for lots of people. Um, he owned his own tarot shop for a while. Uh, so this guy is doing a lot of really cool stuff uh, revolving around the world of tarot. And I'm excited to introduce him to you. Please pick up his books, especially Fearless Tarot. The subtitle is How to Give a Positive Reading in Any Situation, because a lot of the cards have really negative connotations with them, right? Like the death card, for instance. You see it pulled in like a movie, and all of a sudden the scary music starts playing in the background. Everybody's like, oh, no, right? Because like somebody's going to die, but that's not what the card is. These cards aren't predicting the future, as much as they are shining a light on something in your life that maybe you haven't been paying attention to. And so like he talks about in the book, the death card isn't that you're going to die or somebody else is going to die. The death card is about what is going on in your life that maybe needs to die. What is there something that's going on in your life that maybe you need to put to rest forever or for at least a while so you can have a different perspective on a certain situation in your life. So anyway, pick up this book. It has helped me tremendously. Whenever I pull tarot cards, I'm always going to that book is always one of the first ones I grab to read about what Elliot has to say about it. He's so insightful, uh, so wise, and you will not be sorry for adding this one to your 
collection, especially if you're new to the world of tarot like I am. Many of our listeners uh, go and get it. So anyway, I'm going to put all the links to Elliot's stuff in the in the show notes, also links to my stuff, uh, my books, Rethinking Everything and Emerging from the Rubble. Patreon, if you want to support the show financially, uh, you can do that there. Listen, Patreon, people ask me all the time, like, you know, what, what you do this podcast, you have almost 300 episodes, you've been doing it for a while. Like, what sources of income do you have? And I don't have any except for Patreon uh, because I don't do ads. I could do ads. I've been approached multiple times regarding ads. And I've even had a, a company pitch to me how ads would really help increase my revenue, so to speak, and different things like that. And it's just not something I'm interested in doing because I just like the feel of turning on the mic, talking to you, saying hello, and going on with the day. And without having interruption throughout the episode with different ads and things like that. Other podcasts do it. It's great. No no shame in that at all. Just not something that I really want to do. And so I don't get any money from that. The only money I get is from Patreon. And honestly, it goes to help you know pay some of the bills, uh, food on the table, and things like that. I do social media for other people, for Alexander Shia, for Choir Publishing, for Bart Ehrman. And uh, those are some different streams of income. But this is one stream of income. And honestly, it's like the smallest one, but it's the one that I get the most enjoyment out of. So people ask a lot, what can we do to support the show? Uh, that's something you can do anywhere from $3 a month up to $100 a month. Uh, every tier gets the same reward, which is entered into a Discord chat group where we can chat throughout the course of the week about your life, about questions you might be having, about faith. Uh, sometimes the group is really quiet. Other days it's really hopping, uh, but there's people in there. Uh, who are all going kind of on the same journey in the same boat. And it's nice to have some friends to share some different things with. So anyway, I'll put all the links in the show notes. My voice is starting to go. So it's time for me to hit stop and I'll catch you later. Episode 282, Elliot Adams. Enjoy. everybody and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're joined by Elliot Adam. He's the author of two amazing books, uh, Fearless Tarot and Tarot in Love, both I highly recommend. So Elliot, uh, welcome to the podcast. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. I have been looking forward to this too, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to talk today. Excellent. Thank you. So uh, first thing is first, maybe give us a snapshot of Elliot Adam, especially for people who are maybe new to you, or your work, who are you? How do you spend your days? What are you known sure. for? Uh, tell us what we need to know. <laughs> okay. Well, I am Dr. Elliot Adam, uh, and I started the website ElliotOracle.com, which has become really popular for tarot card meanings that aren't based on fear, but are more toward uh, geared toward personal empowerment. So, you know, a lot of us have seen movies where the fortune teller turns the dreaded death card over <laughs> and it means something horrible Everybody freaks is about out. to happen. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, um, you know, I found, you know, I've been reading tarot since I was 16 years old for the public. And I found that when you terrify people, 
you're not really helping them. And tarot is a collection of symbolism. Mm -hmm. It's not meant most of the time to be taken literally. Mm -hmm. And so what the website does and my books do is take these tarot symbols and it puts it in a safe space to talk about what is this symbolizing in your life? Is the death card maybe symbolizing uh, a death of an old way of life that's mm -hmm. uncomfortable? And then once you can kind of start to dialogue with those cards on a deeper level, they can lead to a sense of empowerment or control over your life rather than feeling like some doomed, faded future is about to befall you. That's one of the things I would highly recommend for our listeners to pick up uh, Fearless Tarot because that's something that really helped me because I'm really new to tarot, like maybe a year and a half into it, but especially in those early weeks and months, I remember dreading like, what happens if I pull the death card? <laughs> like, what is that going to mean? But your book was one of the first ones that I picked up as like a companion guide for myself. And when I read your take on some of those scarier cards, even like a lot of the sword cards mm -hmm. can be very fearful because, yes. you know, there's like swords going through people and things like that. And I was yes. like, what does all this mean? But you're able to kind of come in with this different look, put a different twist on it, which then I think taps into your own, like the reader's own intuition to maybe if you see something different in the card than maybe you even say in the book and kind of go down a whole nother road that's more applicable to wherever the person is in their life. Yeah, you know, tarot, as I was saying, it's symbolism. Mm -hmm. And so when we're looking at a scary card with knives in someone's back, <laughs> um, what could that be symbolizing? Well, it could be a time in their life where they're feeling stabbed in the back or yep. victimized by something. Or even when I looked at the Ten of Swords, which is the card we're talking about, mm -hmm. I looked at it almost like I was looking at a crime scene. And there's this guy with the swords in his back. And I thought, how did those swords get in his back? Well, he right. must have been running away from them. Mm -hmm. He must have been turning his back to them. Yeah. And so then we take the symbolism and say, well, what are we turning our back to? What's making us uncomfortable? What are we being chased by in the shadows that's, that's right. turning us into a victim? Okay. And then once we're able to identify that, well, then we can say, I'm going to make a different choice. Yeah, that's what I love about tarot. And I, I've, we could talk about this more in depth, but like I was always taught that it was, you know, it's about, it's about reading the future. You know, it's going to, mm -hmm. it's about predicting what's going to come. But what I found mm -hmm. for tarot is it's more putting a magnifying glass or maybe a spotlight on what's already there that maybe I'm just not, yes. maybe I'm not seeing because of whatever's going on in my life, but this archetype on the card comes up and I'm able to kind of look at it um, and it might through the lens of my life and then see something that's been there the whole time. And now I'm like, mm -hmm. oh yes, like that's what I've been, that's the answer <laughs> I've been looking for. It's been there the whole time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You know, 95% of the readings I do for the public now, um, you know, after the reading, the person says, wow, uh, you basically told me what I already know, right. <laughs> but you more amplified something in me that now it's a lot more clear. So right. absolutely. And, you know, I'm not Tarot Moses, okay? So I'm not coming <laughs> off the mountain with the laws of how everyone has to interpret Tarot. There are as many different Tarot interpretations as there are readers, and yeah. everyone dialogues with the symbolism in a unique way. So, you know, I encourage people, you know, take what works for you, leave the rest behind. Yeah. Uh, but this is um, something that really speaks to everybody on, on a very personal level. Yeah, that's really good. So we share a similar background. You told me in our email exchange that you grew up in a very fundamentalist evangelical world of which I did as well. And mo most of our listeners, I would say like 90% of our listeners come from that mm -hmm. that universe as well. So I was hoping that you could maybe, we could begin there and see where the conversation takes us. Maybe talk to us about your your spiritual journey, like where you were as a kid mm -hmm. in terms of your faith, what being raised in that world looked like for you. Because even though we all share a similar 
system that we grew up in, the experience is kind of different for everybody, but kind of where you mm -hmm. are now, some of the highs and lows that brought you from there to here, then we'll dive into the the tarot stuff um, after that. You bet. Well, um, thank you for that question. I have to full disclosure say that, you know, this was a big question that I was actually afraid to talk about today. Mm -hmm. It really does stir up strong feelings from childhood. Some of them are a little traumatic mm -hmm. uh, and or a lot of traumatic. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to that because there is a very kind of rigid uh, world that you're adhering to. There's not a lot of room for free, free thought or to go outside the lines. There are There is a sense as well that you know, you, you have to stay true to this thing. Yep. So, you know, when I was young, uh, you know, even at five or six years old, I knew I was gay. I just mm -hmm. knew I was. And I was raised in a very evangelical uh, church. My uncle's a minister and my grandparents were very involved in the church. And what they all had in common was that they uh, were addicted to something before becoming Christian. So my uncle was addicted to drugs and then he got saved and now he's addicted to the religion. And my grandpa was an alcoholic and then he got saved and then he's addicted to the religion. And so there was a sense of almost like a fervor here, like an addiction to, um, you know, making this thing the, the full source of what alleviated their fears uh, or their worries. Yeah. And they meant the best. You know, I reflect on it now, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was really angry about how I grew up. It really made me mad that I was holding uh, signs with aborted dismembered fetuses in front of mm -hmm. a judge's house before I even know how women got pregnant. I didn't even know the whole thing. And here I am in front of a judge's house at six years old, and people are taking my picture for the paper uh, and I don't know what I'm doing there. Yeah. Um, so there is a lot that it stirs up. And yet my grandfather wasn't a horrible person. It was evil. And my uncle still to this day isn't a terrible man. Mm -hmm. um, they just did what they could do with what they had. Yep. And so, you know, as I went through adolescence, uh, the ability to hide being gay was uh, impossible for me. Mm. You know, I open my mouth and a purse falls out of it. You know, most people <laughs> can kind of just be quiet and get through it. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, at that time in the teen years, uh, there were some churches that we were going to, and the men were very militant Christian, and they would say flat out, I'd overhear them saying, we need to get Elliot fixed because mm. otherwise the homosexuals are going to get him. And um, I would hear horrible things about gay people growing up. They were child molesters. They were grooming everybody. And I knew what I was. And I was thinking, oh, my God, that's me. And mm -hmm. why are they talking about me like that? I don't do anything to kids. I would never do that. But I felt horrible. And we, we were really big in that church about revelations. Okay, so it's always the end is coming any moment. Anybody. And I remember being a kid and being on the bus and being terrified that I was going to hear this angel blast yeah. and suddenly the rapture was going to happen and I would be judged and left behind and uh, everyone else was going to go because I was this horrible, sinful, gay creature yeah. who God just wanted to throw in an incinerator after I died because I didn't uh, get born the different way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would think, why would you throw 
your people into an incinerator for eternity. I mean, what kind of sick thing is that? But that's what the belief was. So luckily at the same time that I was growing up, I also loved the library and I would go to the library and I was attracted to the mythology section Mm. and I'd open the books and there would be these beautiful images of gods and goddesses. One of them being Athena who carried an owl and I always drew owls and I was always into that. And I used to think, wouldn't it be wonderful if a goddess like Athena was real, like the God in my uncle's church, Mm. wouldn't it be so nice? What if I could, Uh, have a goddess that actually understood me instead of be in a religion where I didn't even like the religious figures because they were mean. They were just so cruel. And so as things became untenable, my journey, I know I'm going through a long story, but when I was a teenager as a gay kid, I thought of suicide multiple times. Mm. I thought there was no hope for me to be an upstanding, straight, how could I ever marry a woman and live a lie like that? And so I had a crisis moment and it was around that time that I discovered tarot Mm -hmm. and I did learn more about the myths and the stories and that I did start to get into symbolism more and it gave me a voice. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I was doing tarot for people and they were wanting to hear what I was saying. And then there I was at 16, Uh, working in a shop and I'm helping people with their divorces and their where to invest in the stock market or you know whether to buy a property or not and I started to feel a purpose that was outside of that fear-based kind of world that I grew up in Uh, and it really did save my life you know Mm -hmm. and not because I have this zealous belief and now the symbolism I'm into and, and the interest but it really did show me that I was very limited in my understanding of what's out there in the world. And that there's all this knowledge, all this history that happens before 2000 years ago. That's right. That people are just completely ignorant. Do we think that the world started 2000 years ago? It didn't. There is a whole history before that. And it's fascinating to dive into. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with us because, you know, as I'm listening to you, there's so many, it's very different, like I said before, but there's so many different overlaps because like I'm mm-hmm. listening to you talk about the rapture. Like I had this mm-hmm. horrible fear. I remember having nightmares when I was a kid about mm-hmm. being left behind or even worse, being taken, but my family left behind and like, you know, mm-hmm. reaching out for them as I'm being lifted up into the air. And, you know, everybody's saying you have to be joyful now because, you know, it's this is this yeah. what we've all been waiting for. And I mean, this is turmoil, but like, being afraid to talk to my parents about it because I was always afraid that like, well, what if they don't believe the right things, Mm -hmm. but they just tell me they do believe the right things so that I'll calm down, but then they're really going to go to hell anyway. And then I'm a failed evangelist, Mm -hmm. which is like the worst Mm -hmm. thing you could possibly Mm -hmm. be. So wrestling with all of that stuff. But then we talked about, about, you know, being gay. Like I can remember when I was a kid, we, I didn't know anybody who was out as gay. Like, you know, so Mm -hmm. I knew about it in theory but nothing mm-hmm. like in reality. And so even when I got into Bible college and seminary, we had to write, you know, papers on the clobber verses in the Bible. So I could, you know, exegete all these passages and do all this different mm-hmm. stuff. And I could argue my case that, you know, being gay is a sin. And that's where I was for the longest time. But then when I left the church, I started working for Apple. I was there for 11 years. 
working yeah. in a store with like 150 people in it. And now all of a sudden I'm meeting people who are gay, who are lesbian, who are transgender. I remember this one time where the a man in our morning meeting, the manager said that one of our coworkers was going to be out for a few weeks having a procedure done. And when they came mm -hmm. back, they'd have a different name and they would be he instead of she. And I was in my mind, I just blew my mind that like I knew this mm -hmm. person I'd spent time with this person, became friends with this person, and who they are is completely different than what I told, what I was told that they were growing up. And that created this theological crisis in my head that like, I've been told all of this stuff about all these people, but none of it is matching up with the reality of now that I'm in a relationship with them. So as I got mm. into relationship with people, it bred empathy and understanding. And that just completely mm. changed my outlook on that aspect of my theology, but that leaked into other places as well, because I thought to myself, well, if this piece of my theology needs to be rethought, what about all these other pieces as well that I've been handed? Mm -hmm. And that just took me down this crazy road that I'm on now where I'm talking to all these different people like yourself, but all these different kind of spiritual practices, religious practices that are way outside of that very narrow tradition that I was handed, that you were handed and growing mm -hmm. up. And I'm realizing that there's so many different ways to come into contact with the divine and that mm -hmm. that small branch of evangelical Christianity does not hold the corner market on how things, <laughs> how things need to be done. <laughs> yeah. They're actually quite a new phenomenon. If you look at the yawning Historically speaking. of history, absolutely. <laughs> right. And that's kind of a comfort to me. And, and, you know, what you made a point about is so important is that we really only do know what we know. That's right. And, you know, if I were a straight person, and I were raised in that community and I felt like I really belonged and not that I was going to get cast out or killed. Maybe I would still be a Christian now yep. uh, and still, you know, an evangelical because I belong there and I wouldn't even have to think twice about it. And if all people were telling me is that these horrible homosexuals are out there and these trans people now are really, that's the new thing that everyone's yeah. all in a hubbub about, yep. um, you know, it's like, it's so easy to demonize people, but also for us people who have become free of, uh, you know, uh, feeling controlled by this, we also can't suddenly say, well, now all evangelical Christians are psychos That's right. who are completely horrible people yep. and they're just trying to destroy us and our country and they're the enemy and they're evil because we're just as bad. Yeah, And, you know, as hard as it is, <laughs> sometimes it's so important to sit down with people who have an opposite view of you. Yeah. And even in my own family, there are still evangelicals that um, I reach out with. My aunt, for example, she's still a very evangelical Christian. Her husband won't even talk to me. He, he won't even make eye contact with me. But she sneaks away and has lunch with me with my other aunt every month. Yeah. And, you know she's loving. And we don't talk about religion. And I don't try to proselytize to her or tell her what she needs to do. And, and she's, you know, respectful enough with uh, not <laughs> kind of pouring too much onto me. Uh, but it gives her comfort, it gives yeah. her life meaning. And so who am I to tell somebody that you can't do that? That's so good. So can you talk to us a little bit more about tarot entering into this this picture, because you talked about, you know, finding all these books in the library and then, you know, tarot kind of entering the picture and then helping all these other people. And what was it like, I'm wondering, like for this to enter like your soul, so to speak, like, was there any kind of inner conflict 
going on oh, about God, like what yeah. you heard about tarot and your fundamentalist upbringing because a lot of our listeners are becoming really interested in tarot we've had stephanie caponi on the show uh, oh, Brittany, yeah, she... Brittany muller Teresa yes. reed meg wall so we've had a lot of people kind of on talking about tarot people are like really interested in it but i've heard a lot of people say that like that internal christian soldier from their youth mm. kind of rises up and says oh this is dangerous stuff like you shouldn't mm-hmm. listen to this kind of thing because it's going to take you down you know that bad road so even though they don't really think like that anymore that voice is still kind of buried in there so again a little mm-hmm. bit about maybe how tarot came into your life and then that sort of wrestling match that was going on with the inner critic if if that happened you bet um so yeah tarot <laughs> entered my life at a time of great turmoil so my mother who was a very evangelical christian uh you know when i was younger uh, her evangelical husband ended up cheating on her at work and there was this mm-hmm. messy divorce and then we were poor suddenly and uh, I'm on food stamps and, uh, you know, and she got a new boyfriend who was the complete opposite. My mom kind of, you know, what the Christians would call backslid mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> she uh, found herself, you know, with a guy who owned a liquor store and he had a house with all these antiques and we were all displaced. So Mm-hmm. I moved in with my mother again, um, and we moved in with this man who she was dating, who was nice, uh, but he had um, an attic full of antiques. And I went up there, and I'm looking in the attics, and there's crystal balls, and there's like these taxidermy animals. It's like the never-ending story <laughs> attic, you know? <laughs> and then I find a deck of tarot cards, and mm-hmm. I thought, whoa, what are these? So I'm yeah. looking through the images and I'm seeing the queen of wands and I'm thinking, who's the queen of wands? She looks just like the the princesses and the fairy tales I loved growing up. Ooh. And and what's the justice figure? And Ooh, this is interesting. I immediately connected with these symbols and I wanted to learn about them. I wanted to just get to know them. And so, you know, I must've been about 15, 14 and I'm just kind of going through them. So then my brother, who was in the service at the time, he went to Germany and he came back uh, on a furlough or on a you know, break and he heard Elliot got into tarot cards and uh, another relative of mine threw my tarot cards away mm-hmm. because she thought that they were dangerous and my soul was at risk and, uh, you know, this is bad stuff. So he said, Elliot, if you don't tell anybody, I'll take you to a store downtown And we'll buy you a new tarot deck and I'll get you a book so you can learn about it. Uh, And I said, well, come on. So then I got to go to the store and there were all these decks on the wall. And I was like a kid in a candy store, like, oh my gosh, which one am I going to pick? And so I picked the one that I liked. It was the Connolly deck. It was really a good choice for me because the symbolism is less scary. So then um, I just, just voraciously studied this, got into it. And I was bullied as a kid for being a gay kid, you know, Mm -hmm. not just by Christians. I mean, by everybody at school, anywhere I went. Mm -hmm. And yet when I started doing tarot um, and I also played the oboe. So I, you know, kind of was in the band room all the time doing little readings for people. Mm -hmm. Suddenly I became a little more popular and people wanted to hear what I had to say and were inviting me to parties. And Mm -hmm. uh, then a shop heard about me in the the, uh, city I was living in. And then the lady said, would you give me a reading? And I did. And she said, holy crap. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you need to do readings at this fair I'm doing this weekend. Wait till people see you. And then there I was at 16 and it just took over. And then I worked at another shop and then that shop closed. Then I opened my own shop when I was 20. But here's the thing about tarot. I got away from the religious sphere of it just because it felt like what I'm doing isn't scary. I'm not, yeah. you know, 
dooming anybody with terrible things. I'm helping them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was a stigma with the tarot, not just with religious people, but with the public in in general. This was the 90s. And uh, Miss Cleo was on TV and she (laughs) called me down for your free tarot reading, you know. And so I was a joke, you know, I'd go to parties and people would say, well, Stan is a dentist and Martha, she's going for her journalism degree. What do you do, Elliot? And I'd say, well, I read tarot cards at the shop that I opened. And oh, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really scary or that's unacceptable. And so I really felt like a weird person there too. And so, you know, I know this is long winded, but I also played the oboe and I was taking lessons at the Conservatory of Music. And the teacher there said, Elliot, you're 25. If you don't get into college now, you might not ever do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you need to do something more legitimate. So I went to music school and stayed there for the next 13 years and kind of kept tarot a secret, but still Mm -hmm. did it. Um, And yeah, it wasn't until uh, 2017 that I actually came back to the tarot for a whole other long-winded story. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, so you, you owned your own shop. So was it like a, when you say that, like I'm trying to pick, or you just, would you do tarot readings in this, in the shop? Did you sell tarot cards, like the shop that you went into when you were a kid? Like what, what was this? Yeah. It was called Athena's Oracle. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I did sell things and I did do readings, but it was really, a time in my life where I didn't know anything about business. I was only 20 right. when I opened the store. And so I made all sorts of mistakes about yeah. finances and how to save and all of this sort of thing. And I was kind of just living hand to mouth. And I was really wanting to sell tarot decks and incense and make that the big thing mm-hmm. because doing tarot readings is hard work. Uh, but people didn't want to buy that stuff from me. They wanted my readings. And so I would have, you know, just person after person after person. It was like a mill. Uh, and so I kind of got a little burnt out from that too. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was a lot. And also with, with tarot readings, sometimes as a reader, you're dealing with people, not when they're happy and empowered and uh, doing well, they're calling you when they're going through a crisis yeah. and you really do need some strong boundaries uh, with when can this person get in touch with you? Are they calling you at midnight panicking about the abusive boyfriend or how accessible are you? And I had to learn really hard uh, that you can't just be open to people. It was starting to make me feel like uh, super anxious, Mm -hmm. worried about leaving the house. Just I was taking on way too much from other people at the time. So what would you say to people who are in in the kind of situation that you were in feeling like, you know, what they were told about tarot versus maybe what their experience is like dabbling in it? now kind of wrestling with that internal soldier because again i've had people reach out and say like i i'm interested in these episodes i kind of want to go get my own deck i'm kind of afraid because i don't know Mm. a lot about it and like things like that like what would you say to help calm that inner voice a little bit so people can maybe take a step into these waters without being so afraid well what i would say is that tarot is a language of symbols and symbols are our first uh, language. We've been uh, we've been dialoguing with these symbols since we've been painting images on the cave walls. Right. These are old, and they don't talk to something satanic in you. They talk to something in humankind that is old. It is uh, on the walls of the cave. It is hieroglyphics. It yeah. is uh, pictures, and our inner self. It doesn't speak a literal language of 
uh, quotations of Bible verses, for example, mm -hmm. it speaks a language of imagery and symbolism. And what the symbols do is they kind of have you engage on a deeper part of yourself, which mm -hmm. is below the level of fear. You know, a lot of people say, turn within, that's where the answer is. And we turn within and the first thing we're met with is a fear right. or a judge yeah. or a really mean creature living there. And what tarot kind of dialogues with is the part of you that's even below that part. Mm -hmm. It's older, it's clearer, it's yeah. instinctive. Yeah. And it's it's the same as listening to music on the radio mm -hmm. uh, and hearing a message and you're like, this singer is singing my song. This is totally what I'm going through. It's that same kind of level, it's pictures. And if we're not taking our pictures literally, <laughs> you know, generally speaking, yeah. uh, they can really be healing. Yeah. And so just as you wouldn't want to close your mind off to all music, uh, I wouldn't close yourself off to learning about tarot necessarily. However, if you're terrified of it and you're not ready to learn tarot, then you're just not ready. And that's okay. No pressure. And you know what? You can go through your whole life and never read tarot and you're going to be a perfectly fine human being. Yeah. Don't listen to me as like this person who's trying <laughs> to make you do tarot. Um, it's, You're not it's the tarot fundamentalist, I, right? <laughs> no, I'm the opposite of that. And it's kind of interesting, you know, even tarot has its share of fundamentalists. When I wrote my blog, for example, or even my book, Fearless Tarot, it wasn't endorsed by a lot of tarot readers at the time because it went against these meanings that people have been really hooked on, which is like, oh, the nine of swords means death, destruction, ruin, and despair. How can you tell me that it means something different than that? Yeah. I get angry people writing messages to me. They weren't Christian. They were just people who really believed that tarot <laughs> cards were this sort of meaning. And yeah. it, it's all the same stuff. I mean, yeah. it's just this baggage people do because they're afraid. That's right. They're scared. And right. what people are scared of, they attack. And they don't want to get to know more. Yeah. And I would just say, if you have courage, sometimes it's interesting to listen to a different perspective and, you know, still know who you are, still have a strong sense of, you know what, maybe that's not for me, but yeah. I'm going to hear it out and, or I'm going to actually explore this myself and make an informed judgment instead of just listening to people who think like me or thought like me and uh, get brainwashed and corralled like cattle into something <laughs> that's, um, you know, not really empowering for me. Yeah. I love, I love what you said about, you know, different meanings. So that's what I feel like tarot's done for me is like in the beginning, like first couple of weeks, months, I was, you know, glued to like a book. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I let kind of decide I'm going to leave the book on the shelf and just going to sit mm -hmm. with these cards and see what comes to mind. And I found myself like that inner intuitive voice being mm -hmm. a little bit more clear when I was able to kind of listen to it. Because when I was looking at these cards, like, as someone who grew up in the church and I went to Bible college, I went to seminary, I see so many overlaps between the stories of the cards and the stories mm -hmm. of the Bible. Because when I look at the Absolutely. Bible nowadays, I look at the Bible, I'm like, this isn't like God sat down in Starbucks and wrote this book and sent it off to a publisher. But these are yes. our stories that people have written that the big question is not so much like, what does this mean? But why is this story been around for two, three, four thousand years, where it's still mm -hmm. on my shelf. What it is about this story that speaks to the core of our humanity. And that's what I'm seeing mm -hmm. in the cards as well, is that there's a lot of overlaps between those stories and the stories on the cards, which has helped really drop my guard a little bit. And I've been able to kind of see some different parallels again in, in the cards. And so I, there's one example I have is there's, I forget what card it is. You're going to know it. 
it's it's a guy who's carrying all of these swords and he's he's walking away from something i forget which which card is it, but he's carrying swords which card is that do you do you know well there's a couple like there's a seven of swords that one's kind of like a little more sneaky looking that's a thief on there yeah um, i'm not sure what deck you're working with too because there might have been, so it might have been that ones. one i think it was that one because the the meaning in the book was that it was about a thief but in yeah in me inside it spoke I, I felt like it said the voice inside said you're always carrying everybody else's swords and you have no room to carry your own stuff and sometimes mm. you have to put down other people's swords so you can have some room in the palms of your hands to carry your own stuff. And for me, growing up in a church, like as a studying to be a pastor was always about everybody else's needs or before my own, especially like yeah. the church and God. And yeah. you, know, you got to raise money. You got to preach every week. You got to be present for everybody. It was so mm -hmm. easy to stuff away my own feelings, my own grief, my own sword so I could carry everybody else's stuff. And I felt like that voice said, you've got to make space especially in this time of grief after losing my father you've got to carry your own stuff for a while and yeah. so that's what that voice yeah. said to me about that car but it was very different from what i saw in any of the books but yet for whatever sure. reason you know the spirit the divine my inner self whatever said this is what it means for you in this moment that's a brilliant way to show how uh tarot can really dialogue with something deep in you that has a very healing message and it's not coming from some mystical spirit it's coming from you right. it's coming from you engaging with that symbol and i think i know what sword card you're talking i think it's the five of swords maybe um you know yeah it, might, yeah. it probably would be that one but um yeah i think that that's a brilliant way to dialogue with it and you know people get so stuck in their books and their meanings and their <laughs> how do i memorize this like you know Tarot cards aren't uh, like monolithic symbols that mean the same thing every time you pick it and no. you just have to recall the memorized version of the card. And that. No, it's it's dynamic. It changes based on the context of the situation. Yeah. It changes based on the question you're asking or the thing you're seeking. Um, so yes, I, I think that's brilliant how you described that maybe what you were feeling was a little different than what yeah. you were seeing. That's right. What advice do you have for people in terms of kind of good segue into like knowing the meanings of the cards for themselves? Like, especially I think of like the king and the queen and the knights mm -hmm. and the pages, like they're all obviously different in the different suits, but a lot mm -hmm. of them look very similar, right? Because all the knights are on horses mm -hmm. and sometimes it's moving, sometimes it's not, but the kings and the queens, mm -hmm. they're typically on thrones. Like, mm -hmm. and if you look at them, they can all look the same. And sometimes when I'm yes. doing my own tarot stuff, like I'm, I dread pulling one of those. I'm like, oh, it's the same. It looks like it's the same as the, all the other ones, yes. but I know that they're all different. So like, what are your thoughts about how somebody can get familiar with these different cards and their meanings and what it means to them? Well, I think any tarot card, first off, you know, tarot is not just a collection of symbolism. It's a collection of characters. Mm -hmm. And when we start to get to know each character, it's like knowing characters in a play. They're very different and mm -hmm. they have very uh, distinctive uh, traits to them. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the helpers with the court cards that you're talking about is that they're all holding something different. One holds a cup, one holds mm -hmm. a sword, one holds a coin, one holds a wand. And those symbols, the cup, uh, it'll represent emotions or feelings. It's the element of water. So right away, we're going to attribute that to 
the characters in the court cards of the cup suit, they're sensitive. They feel things deeply. Mm -hmm. And you get to start to know, oh, well, uh, who do I know that's like that? Maybe a younger person who's really sensitive, the page of cups, Mm -hmm. who's really creative, but cries really easily or is so sensitive. They take everything so personally. Mm -hmm. Then you start to say, oh, I know these people as characters, but also they're in you. So, you know, like I said, you don't want to go through the tarot and say, page of wands means uh, an aspirational youth with red hair. And he um, is super uh, creative with, uh, you know, talent and is he's active. No, you want to start saying, who is this in me? You know, what part of me is associated with talent? What part of me feels inspired? Look at what they're doing. In the case of the page of wands, he's holding a big staff in front of him. It's a lot taller than he is. It's like a measuring rod Mm. and he hasn't quite grown into it. And that's a symbol for like kind of growing into something still, something Mm. that you're passionate about, but his head is upturned. So he's optimistic. So sometimes court cards can be you. Sometimes they can be other people. Sometimes they can be a situation. Mm. It's important that you're just kind of perceiving them based on how you're feeling at the time and really look at what's happening in the picture. Mm. You know, a lot of us dismiss things. We're like, oh, they're sitting in a throne. They're all doing the same thing. No, they're not. Look closer. (laughs) Spend a little more time with that card. Puzzle over it. Chew on it a little bit. Mm. There's all sorts of things happening. There's little symbols in the card, animals in the background. Mm -hmm. Maybe the cup that the queen is holding looks different uh, than the other cups in the suit. What's on the cups? Oh, there's angels. It looks like the Ark of the Covenant. Ooh, Mm. what could that mean? You know, there's all sorts of things to kind of go into on a deeper level. Mm. And I think if there's one critique I have for tarot readers in general is they're very dismissive with the symbolism they're like oh it's eight of swords it's bad it's my memorized thing i'm not even going to look at the picture it's like i'm just going through flash cards yeah look at the picture there's yeah. a lot more going on there yeah and i find it helpful too that you have to take like the cards in the different suits and put them side by side right like if you take the mm-hmm. king of wands and the king of uh, uh, pentacles and you put them side by side it's easier, I think, for me anyway, to be able to see the differences as opposed to remembering that I pulled this card maybe a week ago and now I'm pulling this card and to see, I don't say anything different because I don't have it in front of yes. my face. But if I put it, okay, I pulled this one today. Let me take out these other kings and put them side by side so I can see yeah. what exactly this guy is different from these other ones and why, why, what's going on in the background of this one that's not going on in the background of that one has helped me become a little bit more familiar you know, with those cards. That's brilliant. And I love that comparing and contrasting and kind of looking at what else is there, you know, and, you know, you make a really good point about a lot of the court cards, because there isn't a lot that they're actively doing. They're not action cards. Mm -hmm. Whereas the minor arcana cards, and even some of the majors, there's people are doing things in the cards, you know, with the court cards, they're just kind of sitting there or standing there. (laughs) And so it is important to look at, you know, the background. In the case of the Rider Waite Smith tarot, and we got the King of Swords, what's in the background there? Well, there's two birds in the mm-hmm. background, and one is flying markedly on top of the other. Mm-hmm. And what that can be a symbol for is that this king likes to dominate. Mm-hmm. He wants to be on top. He wants mm-hmm. to be the one that's top bird here. Uh, the Queen of Swords, she only has one bird behind her. She likes to be alone. Mm-hmm. She likes to think on her own. She likes power for herself. Uh, she's not someone who is very feely and, and involved with others. So there's all sorts of little clues kind of going on with the animals, with the uh, symbolism that that can give you clues into, well, what what is this card speaking to with me? What can you tell me about 
like about spreads talking about like different cards being side by side because that's Ooh. something I got when I when I open up a tarot book and I go to the section about spreads I get immediately overwhelmed because there's the, yes. like the Celtic cross spread that has like mm-hmm. 30 cards in it and there's like all these other spreads that are like maybe three cards four cards five cards like do you use spreads like in your own tarot practice number one and then number two yeah like what what would you tell listeners about about spreads like is there a good one for beginners is there one maybe to start with sure what does that look like well for spreads you know if tarot and the symbolism is the soul of a reading Mm -hmm. Uh, spreads are the skeletal system Mm. they organize the information the wonderful thing about a spread is not to get overwhelmed by how many cards are on what do they all mean it's more (laughs) about the card in that position the spread is now limiting uh what that card is pertaining to Mm. so you're not just having 10 random symbols in front of you and you're like what the heck is all this about it's almost like they don't even agree this is a way to organize the information hmm. so that it's like, oh, well, it's appearing in this part of the spread that has to do with the past. So I already know that whatever this symbol is talking about, it's talking about the past. Mm-hmm. It's not happening right now. It's not something I need to worry about at the moment. It's something that's being recalled from the past. And now I can look at the symbol and start to uh, interpret it through the lens of the past. So it's a way to kind of organize the information. Now, tarot spreads can be overwhelming for beginners. They were for me when I started. Mm -hmm. And so what I suggest is if if you're just learning tarot, I would just start with a one card spread, a daily card in the morning that you pick. Maybe you get a journal out and you start to write what you're noticing on the card. Mm -hmm. And then maybe at the end of the night, you kind of go back and you see how your day went. And where did that symbolism show up in your life? And now there's personal connections you're making to it. And then I would also just kind of read several different sources on uh, authors who think, oh, this person says the King of Swords means this, but this one says this. Ooh, that's interesting. And which one do I think really pertains to my situation today? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, spreads that could be something that you kind of get a little more advanced to do. Yep. Uh, and it's not uncommon for beginning tarot readers to have their little book with them. Yep. And they got the spread Always. in front of them and they're looking <laughs> at the diagram and they're kind of going back and forth. That's how you learn. I mean, it's yep. totally fine. You'll find in time, though, that the more you work with the symbolism, the more they sort of speak to you in a very unique way yep. so that you don't need the book anymore. And you kind of remember the structure of the spread so well. And, you know, maybe your intuition's even telling you, yeah, you know, the spread says the card should be this, but I'm actually feeling that. Always go with the feeling. Yeah. Uh, because these are just arbitrary external things we're trying to do to make a very uh, symbolic, uh, almost magical, uh, you know, intuitive thing make yeah. logical sense. Right. And these are two <laughs> different realms, you know, the logical brain isn't the same brain that we're always engaging in when we're in the intuitive brain. Yeah, it's been hard for me because you can tell by all the books behind me, I'm a very, I'm a thinker, you know? And so getting into tarot was very challenging for me for that reason, because I I wanted to get the books. I wanted to study the meetings. I wanted to know what they meant. And it was way, it was so overwhelming to me because I'm also the person that wants to master something very quickly yes. and i was getting very frustrated because I'm like, all these stupid pictures mm-hmm. look the same you know and like all these different <laughs> i was getting so angry with it and now i've had listeners tell me like the same thing and in talking to people you know we've come to this conclusion that like it's not you know for those of us who grew up in the church we didn't learn the bible overnight you know it took us a long time oh, God, a, a lifelong no. journey of 
learning all these stories and all these meanings and it's a never ending journey. And the same thing is with tarot. It's like, we're learning a new language that's very mm-hmm. similar to other languages that we speak, but at the same time, there's no rush in having to master it. You've got to work with it. You know, for those of us that grew up in the church, we had our morning devotion where we sit with our Bible every morning and we would read it. You can have, mm-hmm. you can take that same practice into tarot. Like you just said, you could sit with a card in the morning over your coffee. You could write about it. You can journal about it. If you still do your Bible thing, you can see, well, does this overlap into anything I know about in the Bible? And you can include that into your journal. And over time, when you do that more and more, like you said, I think you get more and more familiar with the cards, more and more mm-hmm. comfortable with it. And then your own meaning start to develop, you know, as well. And you can go back to your own journal as opposed to going into books all the time, go back and say, oh, you know, six weeks ago, I pulled this card and this is what I thought about it. Yes. Today, I see the same thing, but maybe I see something different in the card. Maybe I see something a little bit that's speaking into a different situation in my life right now. So I think that's that's wonderful advice. And you will see something different right. every time. <laughs> it's so interesting. You know, I've been doing this for almost 25 years and I'm still picking out symbolism or or even listening to other readers who have a take on something. And I'm like, holy smokes, I never thought about that. That's yeah. brilliant. I can't believe what they just suggested for that card. Yeah. You know, everybody engages with these symbols in a different way. And even we ourselves, as we come back to them, we come with new wisdom, new yeah. insights, new life experiences that really make it a lot richer. And, you know, you are not alone with wanting to figure out the meanings and have <laughs> the exact true one right way yeah. of reading tarot. <laughs> everybody kind of goes through that. And what you find is like, hey, it doesn't really it doesn't really stick in that kind of part of the brain. Yeah. Uh, it It's it's a little disconcerting for people who do want that certainty of like, this means this every time, all the time. Yeah. You know, even clients I have, they get really um, stuck on, well, I pulled this card and now you're saying this. So like, And it's like, calm down. <laughs> this is just, you know, this is how this stuff works. It's, yeah. it's very contradictory. Yeah. All right, last question for you. Um, what is your tarot practice look like like in your your everyday life like take us into like a quick walkthrough of what how tarot plays into you because i know what you do on instagram i think it's brilliant when you do your card pulls for people we know what you do for other people but like when the camera's off the doors are closed it's you mm-hmm. in your house what does your tarot practice look like do you go to the cards multiple times a day is it kind of once a day like what's what's it look like for you yeah so um for me tarot is my work Mm-hmm. So when I get off this podcast interview interview with you, I have six clients that I'm going to be reading all afternoon wow. and we're going to go into all of their uh, stuff. And yep. um, sometimes at the end of the day, I'm so tired. <laughs> that I'm just <laughs> like, I don't want to pick any more. Cards. No more tarot. <laughs> just done this all day long, you know, and right. uh, but in the mornings, you know, I do do my, you know, daily rituals and, uh, you know, my prayer work. And then I, uh, pick a card out of different Oracle decks. And I might even pick a tarot card that day mm. just to kind of have something to reflect on or meditate on. But the big thing that I've been with uh, in the last, especially recently. So for 25 years, I've been drawing a tarot deck based on ancient Greek mythology. And I finished it at least seven times and gone back and hated the art and then redid it. And so <laughs> I've been in the spiral. Well, this is the year, you know, knock on wood, uh, but I got a patron who's uh, funded it. And so um, she's actually sending me to Greece to write uh, all the chapters and go to the old temples and uh, do some social media things in front of the Greek temples. And I'll kind of tie it into the cards and all of that. 
So right now my daily practice when I'm not reading cards is drawing them and trying to get this deck finished uh, in time for the summer. So that's kind of where my my daily practice is. But yes, I still do pick cards every day, uh, maybe in the morning, but I do not, you know, there's a wonderful saying that tarot is an excellent servant, but a horrible master. Mm. So what I mean by that is that if the cards are serving you, to make decisions and aid you in something, they're wonderful. Yeah. They can really uh, point out your blind spot. But if you make a deck of cards, your master, and you can't make a life decision without running to your tarot deck and picking a card and, oh no, it looks bad, so I can't do that. Yeah. This can really trigger anxiety. It can almost turn to a mania. I used to call them tarot junkies. Like they're just like, oh, well, quick question. Pull a card. Another hit, need another know? hit, right? <laughs> I had people who'd be like, Elliot, I'm at the mattress store. Should I get the Sealy Posturepedic mattress oh, no. or the, the other? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. Like you can't pick Deep a breath. mattress without picking a card? I mean, Give me a break. So, you know, it's important that you're kind of keeping it in context that it's an aid to you. It's something to help support you in your life, but it isn't your master. It isn't something that you need to give all your power to. Yes. That's such good advice. All right. Close us out. If you could with a, with a tarot reading of sorts, if you could pull a card on behalf of our our listeners, give us a fearless, (laughs) fearless tarot. Oh, there you go. Word of encouragement. Well, you know, I just picked the Page of Pentacles. And speaking of court cards and how they all look the same, well, here's the Page of Pentacles, and I'll yep. describe it to your listeners. We got a you know young man, and he's got a red cap on, and he's holding a coin. And even though he's a child of the earth element, meaning he's practical, he's a hard worker, he wants to get things done, he's very literal, mm-hmm. his head's kind of in the clouds on this card. And the red cap is a symbol for his passion, following what he loves. The Page of Pentacles is the student of the tarot. Mm. And everyone listening is a student in their own way. And what this card really encourages you to do is learn about what you are passionate about. It may not be what I'm passionate about or Glenn's passionate about. It might be something that you really just come alive and you just love this so much. The Page of Pentacles is telling you that it's never a mistake to learn more, that it Mm -hmm. makes your life richer. And so this is a card as well, of not just learning new things, but manifesting something wonderful with what you're learning. It's not enough to just read books Mm -hmm. and pontificate about this alone in a room. The Page of Pentacles affects change in the external world with what he's learned. And so for everybody who's a student in something, you're gonna be a teacher in time. And it's important to share what you know. Wow. Elliot, my friend, we're out of time, but this has been amazing. And what a way to end it because I, like you said, we are all students and so many, so many people, so many listeners are really trying to learn, uh, get into this, this world. And I think that's just a beautiful reminder for us all. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for everything you're doing. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And um, for any of you who are interested in finding me, I'm on YouTube, Elliot Oracle or Instagram, Elliot Oracle. Um, And I got tons of free content on my website, ElliotOracle.com. So if you're stumped with a tarot meaning or you're really scared of a certain card, just type in 10 of swords, Elliot online, (laughs) and I'll be the first result. And it'll lead you to 
uh, a free blog that you can read and a little video clip. In under a minute, I'll describe that card to you. That's right. Awesome. I'll put the links in the show notes and maybe we can do this again sometime. Well, that'd be wonderful. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to talk to a very like-minded person with a history that's so similar to my own. Thank you too. 